Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Spooky midterms. We missed Halloween, but there's nothing scarier than seeing Mehmet Oz. Uh, actually, it's not true. It was not scary to see Mehmet Oz, given that he got his ass trounced. Lamal, <laughs> welcome to uh, Getting Informed, a Leftist Lit podcast. I am a host, Colin Orton. He, they, with me is... Another host, Al Gropi, they, them all. And folks, everything is a discursive social construct today. Uh, And with us is our illustrious guest. Hi, Uh, my name is uh, Beverly Fort, but my friends call me Bev, she, they. Very nice to have you on. Thank you for, thank you, thank you for making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. And today we are going to be discussing a text I have been craving for a long time. And now I don't know if I got myself, know what I got myself into, uh, Judith Butler's gender trouble. But before that, twas the spooky midterms. I'm going to also point out that this is the 1990 version of gender trouble, not the 2006 version. This one's shorter and was easier to find a PDF of online. (laughs) So we've been gone for a while and a bunch of shit happened. Uh, would you guys, you know what? We'll start the furthest back and then we'll do some midterm stuff and some other election stuff. Uh, so a few weeks ago, um, protests in Iran are ongoing, uh, but the uh, Evan prison, which is an incredibly you know notorious prison for the regime's uh, t- torture and shit, according to NPR, had a fire in it. And according to almost every other news source, that fire was started by protesters, as well as uh, sporadic gunfire throughout the building. So solidarity, all power to them. There were chants of death to the dictator and death to Khomeini, which is pretty based. Moving forward, um, you guys know about Herschel Walker, right? Speaking of midterms. Inform me. Uh, so Herschel Walker was running uh, in Georgia. It was him versus Raphael Warnock, I believe for Senate. But Herschel Walker is a ex-football player and Republican uh, politico, uh, notorious for A, just having his brain be mushed to a pulp by his football career, and B, paying for various abortions for his mistresses. That did not affect him in the polls at all. Neither did the fact that he repeatedly pretends to be a law enforcement official, uh, including on the debate stage a few weeks ago, he pulled a fake badge and said that he was a cop. The balls. Uh, he pretended to be like an FBI agent in, I think, 2019, too. He, this is something he has done repeatedly, is just like impersonate law enforcement. I just like, at that point, what's to stop us from impersonating law enforcement? Uh, to them like <laughs> because if if they don't know the difference between the real and fake they won't know if we do it that's I mean, true i'm there's just always I'm the putting un- that out there for someone that's bolder than i am there's the unfortunate reality of like when a wealthy Repo- republican senate candidate does it it's funny but when other people do it it's a federal crime 
because laws don't exist for rich people. Crime is relative. But also crime isn't crime if you aren't caught. So there is that. It's Moving the whole forward. carry a clipboard through the back of the Coles uh, logic. Just got to look professional. Continue. So in some local midterms news uh, in in uh, my my very hometown, uh, there was a little bit of a scandal uh, in Oregon uh, because the sheriff's department in my hometown came out against, I believe it was measure 112, which would ban it would, quote, remove language allowing slavery and involuntary servant uh, servitude as punishment for a crime from the Oregon Constitution from the Willamette Week. Uh, and the uh, I think it was the sheriff's department of Bend was like, we don't condone slavery, but and then like <laughs> just law enforcement from all over was desperately trying to get people to not pass that. It did pass, by the way, which is cool. Good. What the fuck, dudes? Yeah, uh, that was really funny. That reminds me of the, like, there's, there were a lot of, with the midterm things, there was a lot of votes around the subject of slavery and all that. So it makes sense yeah. why it, the, the, there's a 20% voted to keep it. That mm-hmm. was wild um, mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. That, uh, it, you know, the midterms were supposed to be really bad and they were kind of bad, you know, like the Dems, I think lost as of right now, it sits about 15 seats in the house of representatives, but could have been way worse, could have been way worse. Uh, and Biden is attributing that to young voters right now, young progressives, which is nice. Holding on to that base by one finger, though. He's Just holding one. on so hard. Yep. In other news, a QAnoner attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer in his San Francisco home. Wild. Yeah. Uh, sent him to the hospital. He was injured. Uh, he entered the home, uh, repeatedly asked, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? She was in DC. And then upon realizing that she wasn't there, uh, this dude attempted to tie up Paul Pelosi and just, it seems like his plan was to just wait for Nancy to return. That's kind of funny how poorly planned that is. Yeah. I don't understand how you can go that in depth of the planning of every part, but knowing where Nancy is. Like if Congress is in session, you have a pretty decent idea of where she's at. It it really reminded me of a while ago, a guy, some other fucking QAnoner attempted to attack an FBI building armed with a nail gun to get through the bulletproof glass window. Because he had like a gun gun, but then he tried to break the bulletproof glass with a nail gun and failed and then just kind of realized that he couldn't get in. (laughs) And this is sort of a continuation in the series of like psychotic spur of the moment QAnon attacks. Wildly overestimating their own capabilities. And it, it, it has to be spur of the moment because, you know, if someone owns a nail gun, then it would do that there. They wouldn't also necessarily be like i'm not gonna test it beforehand like i feel like that's an easy thing to test beforehand i just don't i don't i don't get it the preparation never goes as far as one would logically you know this line of logic perhaps is maybe one we should not go now well um the 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 attacker i uh he he had like a bunch of you know he had been uh fed posting as it's called for a while where he was just posting like insane anti-semitic shit q shit and also incredibly long uh deranged rambling movie reviews 
variety uh, about like, you know, how the wokes are destroying American culture with the left movies and gays, you know, uh, but I, I want to see I, the letterboxed. Oh, <laughs> it says everything you'd think he would oh, say. There is you know? a letterboxed. It's, it's not a letterboxed. I think oh, I don't okay. remember what it was, but I, I did read some of his reviews and he says everything, you know, average Alex Jones watcher shit. But he takes about four times as many words as you need to say it. It's just incredibly rambling and disorganized in a way that sort of speaks to maybe him not being okay. Speaking of people who are not okay, uh, this is just an interesting one. Um, There's a lawsuit against Jeff Bezos right now by his housekeepers. Yeah, I heard about that one. Yeah, uh, that alleges that they were forced to work extended shifts as long as 14 hours without breaks without bathroom access. I hate to say it, but I mean, based on his track record, that's about, that sounds about right for his. Apparently they had to like climb out a window and go to a a building next door to use the bathroom if they wanted to use the bathroom. And uh, apparently uh, multiple housekeepers developed uh, UTIs as a result of lack of bathroom access uh, over the long conditions. I just like I don't think I've heard anyone say this yet about Jeff Bezos, so I want to put it out there. I think he just has a piss kink, and <laughs> I is... <laughs> because it it makes sense. And I want to I also want to clarify I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but I think it's very important to make fun of these people because yeah. that's the thing yeah. that affects them the most is making fun of them. I mean, take a look at Elon Musk. Oh Lord, buying Twitter, uh, which he took out a loan against his Tesla stock. Have you guys seen any graphs of what Tesla stock looks like recently? I'm guessing straight fucking down. Oh, it owns. It's so fucking good. He dropped below $200 billion net worth. Uh, oh, recently wow. he is having a really bad time. He's blocked. He, like, I think Misha Collins got, uh, his Twitter <laughs> suspended for making fun of Elon. Oh, Misha. <laughs> That's uh, so fucking funny. Also, yes, I agree. Probably has yes. so some sort of combination piss kink and like edging, like restriction. I, yeah, <laughs> I just I think at this point there has to be a kink aspect to it. We wouldn't have seen so much publicity over multiple sources. And it's always piss with him. He just hates the idea of his employees being able to pee. Gross. <laughs> Ugh, I hate him so much. We we're not here to kink shame, but we are here to Bezos shame. Continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. According to an Oxfam study, billionaires emit a million times more greenhouse gases than the average person, which like basically goes to show the thing we knew all the, all the time, which was, I don't give a fuck how much you recycle. I don't give a fuck how much you take public transit. Uh, Taylor Swift is taking 12 minute private flights. Unless we do away with the billionaire class, there can be no fighting climate change. It was 70 degrees this Monday. Yeah. Yeah, in fucking November. That um that was a bad mental health day for me. I'll just I'll just say that right now. <laughs> that was that was not good. Anywho. <laughs> Anywho, uh speaking of bad, uh Brian Kemp, uh governor of Georgia, who got reelected this midterm, deputized uh deputized essentially GOP can uh, like GOP party members and friends of his as vigilante poll watchers who were then granted the power to mark votes as suspicious, which would make them pulled uh, for verification out of the pool that would be counted. He did this to 149,000 votes, predominantly in black areas. Shocker. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, 
pretty sure I know the answer, but like, that's not allowed, right? That's like not. I mean, it's yeah, it's not not super allowed. Uh, cool, but, but speaking of things that are not really allowed, uh, Ron DeSantis pulled something similar where he said that uh, essentially federal level monitors would not be permitted in three of the more Democratic leaning districts in Florida. Uh, and that Florida monitors would be fine in those areas. The feds sent monitors anyway, but DeSantis was like, don't send them. They won't be ex- allowed in the building. It was it was it, very sus. Transparent. Anyway, uh, I shotgunned news. We did it. Thank you for bearing, bearing with me. It's been, I think, three weeks. So a lot of shit happened. Thank you for your patience. Let's get into some trouble with our gender, shall we? Oh, God. (laughs) Let's not talk about it. We've all got they's in our pronouns on this podcast right now. (laughs) Something none of us would know anything about. uh, Troubles with gender. Straight up, when I told Drew what I was reading, he said, oh, you wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Um, You're just going to let your cis partner dunk on you like that? I, I, no, yes, apparently. (laughs) Gender trouble. All right. So this book was written in 1990. We are reading the 1990 version, as Colin said earlier, and it is by the infamous and famous Judith Butler. And part of the reason that I wanted to read this one in particular was because I did rewatch the ContraPoints video that introduced this to me. Um, to like remember what the discourse was because what I remember about Butler is that a lot of people on the left actually are not too fond of her theories because they believe that they can either A, like they're too inclusive in that if you define, uh, so basically this book talks about defining gender, defining womanhood and a lot of people, especially trans and non-binary readers have taken these arguments and applied them to, you know, gender itself non-binary genders, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And so people believe that the performativity theory of gender that Butler supposits, posits, not supposits, that's something that's, that goes in your ass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there, there, there is something to be done performatively and, uh, you know, uh, about gender. Uh, you can you can do some suppositing, but you certainly can. <laughs> <laughs> but um, people think that the gender performativity theory is both too exclusive and too inclusive. Um, the idea that if it, gender is exclusively a social construct and it is simply the performance of a series of social roles, then that means that male actors playing female characters can be considered woman for a moment. That means that any drag queen could be considered a woman and um, turfs especially don't like that logic. But also um, binary trans folks sometimes don't like that logic because it feels invalidating to their lived experience as women, as men, as et cetera. Um, so I was very interested to actually read this text and get into why people think that about performativity theory, because from, from what I've read so far, it actually feels to me as if it is the most, you know what, maybe I'm not, I'm getting too far ahead. Let's start. <laughs> well, so and there we'll are, have to read something else if we want to find out why people think that about this, because this is just this. Yes. This, this is just uh-oh. this. No, Al, don't seed sequels already. We're only, <laughs> no. Oh, she wrote another book, changing her perspective oh. from it as it's laid out in this book. So anyway, today we are reading, after the next two, over the next two episodes, we are reading chapter one, which includes the sections, women as the subject of feminism, the compulsory order of sex, gender, and desire, 
gender, the circular ruins of contemporary debate, theorizing the binary, the unitary, and beyond, identity, sex, and the metaphysics of substance, and language, power, and the strategies of displacement. And we'll see if we actually get through all of them. I think this reading was a really good call, Al, um, especially given that sort of trans panic has been the right's major cultural, like culture war issue for the last like several months. That's been something they've really doubled down on. Even when they run out of other things, they just keep that one. Uh, And, you know, we just had, I don't know if it was shoved on everyone else's social media feed, but Matt Walsh was, uh, he sure was all over the place with his goddamn documentary there for a while. And I can use quotes on the word documentary, but yeah. I got so many ads. There were so many. Wait, I haven't heard of this. What is this? Matt Walsh, uh, professional transphobe and man who fetishizes teenagers often on his Twitter page, uh, created a documentary called What is a Woman? In which he basically just tried to say that trans people aren't real for the entire length of a documentary. Uh, he did get owned really hard on it by uh, an academic, like who actually like knows shit about gender, and then he kept it in the documentary, which was very funny. But it's kind of unintentionally a deep dive into the psychology of a transphobe. If you if you watch it from that perspective, and it's really interesting because especially like the like leaving in getting owned. He only left that in because he didn't realize that he got owned. So like it's it's kind of fascinating because I I mean, I've not ever intentionally sat sought it out, but like, you know, stuff shows up. I got a billion ads for it, which is so weird because all of my settings on Google and stuff are like very much not that like I don't know. I, I almost think that he intentionally made the metadata advertising towards trans people i have a theory about that but i mean intentionally advertising towards somebody who's going to like rage click it is very much a strategy like i i i think you're absolutely right bev that that's something that he could have done (laughs) well i would love to watch it from that perspective that sounds like it would be entertaining and interesting and colin's shaking his head Uh, just sucks Okay, but intellectual, yeah, it sucks. Um, so let's jump into, um, I had a couple, so literally I pulled so many fucking quotes. I was so distracted by pulling quotes because yes, I'm going to be showing my bias. I love the way that Butler writes. <laughs> um, I pulled a billion quotes, but we can start with chapter one, or I could start by just, uh, we could start by like chapter one, section one, how we feel? Let's do it. Subjects of sex slash gender slash desire. So the first section, uh, women as the subject of feminism, the preface basically touches on what the goal of the book is, as we discussed, to define woman within gender, or rather to explain how it cannot be defined. And when I said at the beginning that this is everything is a discursive social construct, literally everything, it's constructs all the way down. And the thesis statement of the first section is basically So feminists need to define womanhood in order to be represented accurately on the political stage is the belief. 
But A, it is impossible to define womanhood so succinctly. And B, it would be difficult for women to be accurately represented as, quote, the subject in the philosophical sense in a political field without in turn being discursively reconstructed within the patriarchal framework. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. So the systems in place that we are seeking representation within that feminism and feminist advocates are seeking representation within, it is impossible to participate in that system without it redefining the participant within its own terms. It kind of just reminds me of the whole thing of like college applications when you're getting to the whole aspect of like insert your demographics just so you can apply to even be considered. Mm. Um, especially for like, I feel like scholarships is probably a better example for that. But yeah, it it reminded me a lot of that whole idea and how when you when they don't fit into a category, there's always the the lovely, totally non uh, controversial option of other. Yeah, um, <laughs> and um, I think like the whole the whole goal in turn is to have a category that is not other slash X um, in, in what we're talking about. Yes. And it's funny considering I love that you said other, because we talk about othering a lot in this fucking chapter. Um, Butler talks about language and the systems created by language. um, And in turn that language is created by uh, a lot and othering as like, oh, I just want to jump ahead to the section that she talks about uh, othering and all those different like philosophies of what a woman is from Beauvoir and oh my God. Um, But yes, it very much gives the vibe of, I need to constrain myself within a box in order to be like validated by this institution, despite the fact that that institution cannot accurately like suit my needs, cannot represent me. And so, like, I totally get the, like, analogy of it being like a college essay. Uh, I have a quote here. My suggestion is that the presumed universality and unity of the subject of feminism is effectively undermined by the constraints of the representational discourse in which it functions. Yeah, I I very much agree with that. Um, And, I mean, we'll get into later of, like, how a huge part of that is, like, trans aspects and other things but i have i have personal examples of that but i'm like "Mm, maybe maybe not maybe maybe we'll save those people (laughs) maybe we'll just take a we'll just um we can bleep out names if you want (laughs) (laughs) no because the context is like they'll know they'll know Uh, i see colin you were sitting on like a fun expression for a bit do you have thoughts about this first section i mean that relationship you know, the, the relationship to state power, the hierarchy where in order to be recognized by a very, by that like abstract system, you need to, in a sense, systematize yourself. And, you know, a definition, while it can be very affirming, is also binding, mm-hmm. especially when you enter it into a vast system, like, say, a government uh, or a society, uh, and you, you end up getting that, you know, it's the boxes thing. It's I'm, I'm no, that's the thing. It's going to be a little bit hard to talk about these because she's talking so much about discursiveness by, uh, I guess, recursion. I don't know if that's the right word. It's the Orberos. It's the snake eating its own head. 
we are defined by the things that we define that are defined by the systems that blah, blah, blah. It's Foucault. It's just Foucault all over the place. Butler and I read the same philosophers, like literally everyone she was mentioning. I was like, that's my guy. But it's also like, it's not exclusively a snake because like it's, it's pretty much just exclusively like a snake eating its own head while someone is watching because Mm -hmm. there will always like, the person that bought the snake and put it in the cage is also the person that like, like made the system, made the cage, all that type mm-hmm. of thing. And I feel like that's a huge aspect of it because like, if it were the like, exclusively that thing, then like, if you were to start talking about like trans men, then like the fact that they're not included in that other category and like, it's the whole like power pyramid thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's basically just like, you're either there or you're not. And everything that is at the top is only going to see from that perspective. So it's, yeah. I really like the addition of the observer to that metaphor. That makes sense. And it's like, really, oh, go ahead. It's just like, however, it's, if we're the snake eating our head, head trying to present ourselves, like it is all performative in that nature because of that we're just trying to figure out what appeases the observer enough to get them to understand what's trying to be communicated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and honestly i you make me want to jump ahead because we have that discussion of uh, later in the chapter um butler talks about how some people think that there's only one gender and that gender is female because male is the presumed universal and so that's a different aspect on how we want to perform gender. And then Beauvoir is like, uh, no, the only gender is other. We are defined by our otherness against men. Gender is relational. And then we have lesbian as the third gender um, or as the only one of two genders is a definition of that. But what you said really made me think of the idea and i'm going ahead a little bit into section two where she brings up body morphology and placing sex and gender both on their distinct binaries Mm -hmm. and the idea that technically there is no such thing as gender it's only sex because both sex and gender are social constructs for the system we should technically just have like 50 sexes for like all of the different morphologies. And I, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's wonky. Um, uh, we have, she breaks down the chicken egg nature of sex and gender as we understand it and to what it actually is. And uh, if gender is the cultural meanings that the sexed body assumes, then a gender cannot be said to follow from a sex in any one way. Taken to its logical limit, the sex-gender distinction suggests a radical discontinuity between sexed bodies and culturally constructed genders. I don't know if that, I don't know if I'm making any sense because it's just information overload in my brain. Hit, hit like, me with that one one more time. So, so we bring up the idea of the observer watching the performance of gender as redefining it by the act of observation. Mm-hmm. Butler brings up the fact that if we assume based on the system that sex is to nature as gender is to culture, which she then disproves, but assuming that, and that they are two distinct subjects, gender cannot be said to follow from sex in any one way. So the fact that heteronormativity, comp het, comp cis is 
the standard is clearly intentional. Because when we think about the statistical probability, if you have two categories, and this is on a binary understanding, and everyone on this podcast does not have a binary understanding, we've expanded. Um, but if we look at that binary understanding and take it to its logical conclusion, if we have the binary sexes of male and female, and then we have the binary gender presentations of male and female, statistically, the very fact that we have those categories means that there are going to be things outside of the norm that we have created. Statistically, not all male bodies will have male genders, and which is proof that both the gender and the sex were created to reinforce comp het heteronormativity, the, um, as I believe, how do they put it? Not Butler. As a different feminist philosopher puts it, the repro time, the uh, heterosexual reproduction time framework, our structuring our entire society off of this idea of birth, schooling, dating, sex, marriage, babies, death. Not mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that, it makes a lot of sense. One of the one of the major things that I think just I had to sort of grasp is a lot of, you know, things that are ultimately defined by our understanding of them are then informed by things like cultural understanding, systems of power, history. And so even concepts like gender expression are molded or rather especially concepts like gender expression are molded by you know hundreds and hundreds of distinct social factors uh at play in all of our lives that yeah nothing exists separately of anything else especially not in this uh in in any social phenomenon yeah it kind of reminds me of the idea of like the aspect of opposition mm-hmm. of it where like that's kind of at the root of it is the opposition aspect because I feel like especially like with like compet that is so much about like the opposition aspect and I think also the reason why there's such a distinct definition to them is because it's like I have to oppose this or I become it Mm -hmm. type Mm -hmm. of thing but speaking of compet this is jumping forward a little bit but I it adds to my earlier point but compet uh speaks to what she defines as the order between these concepts, because if she's like, okay, so if this is a social construct that was created because of itself, because it's more societal norms, what is, where's the chicken egg of that? As desire is what defines sex, sex is what defines gender. And that the pursuit and achieve, achievement of heterosexual sex is the like defining act of the sexes of the genders in this like patriarchal viewpoint. So comp het like times 10,000. And um, it reminds me because she says that we're trying to treat binary sex as this natural quote, pre-discursive as in like a naturally existing before discourse, completely free of discourse, a political body. Oh, Colin has a thought. Proceed, please. I'll, I'll double back. Yes, we're, we're, we're trying to say that that is what the body is and that gender is the social construct, but the very fact that desire and like heterosexuality informs sex and informs gender means that it is a construct. Colin, what were you going to say? Oh, uh, well, Butler talks a lot about uh, state of nature and 
Man, uh, having read The Dawn of Everything earlier this year, another book that I will harp endlessly about, that book talks a great deal about the state of nature. And it's really interesting because Butler says the same thing that Graeber says. State of nature is bullshit, of course. And everybody knows that the state of nature is bullshit. This idea that actually in the past, everything was cool and we had this like Edenic past where everybody was okay or everybody was not okay, depending on it. People were the way that human nature makes them before we entered society. And because of the social contract where we all agreed to be in society, uh, we now behave like we do now. Of course, this is bullshit. Everybody knows it's bullshit. It's a thought experiment, but it's foundational to like liberal politics. The idea of the state of nature and the social contract where no, no, we all agree to be in a society, a society is something you agree to voluntarily and are not born into against your will. Um, but one of the things that this text points out is that is gender something found in the state of nature uh, as it's so often presupposed? Like gender may in fact be society as much as the state. And in many ways, they go together uh, beautifully. And to uh, to pull even further on my uh, Graeber talks a lot about a, a societal concept he calls schismogenesis, where one thing creates itself in opposition to another thing. And he talks about this societally. Um, but Butler, uh, uh, one of the things that I find really interesting is our society, especially, especially now, uh, well, but well, you see it a lot now, but uh, we create gender norms in opposition to the thing that we think that that gender should not be. Uh, as we see, you know, you see it with body shape, fashion, uh, even behavior. Uh, women are often supposed to be soft, uh, soft spoken and polite. And you see this almost creation in the last, you know, couple hundred years of men as like loud, assertive, rude, and emotionally immature, but as like positive traits, because to be emotionally mature is feminine, actually. Like understanding your feelings is for women. Men are not <laughs> supposed to understand. They're supposed to simply be aggro. And like, you see this schismogenesis in real time where women are supposed to be emotionally mature. Therefore men go from being a real man is to be stoic. No, no, no. You have to be more than that. You have to be actually aggressive. Like, and we see that with like, you know, the rise of Andrew Tate as like an influencer and stuff, you know, I've gone on for far too long. I had a thought about that because in my theater histories class, that I'm taking right now. We've had a lot of talks about Liz Estrada. Mm. Um, and that heavily ties into what you were just talking about because, you know, this whole idea of like the question we talk a lot about in class is, is Liz Estrada a feminist play? Which it's not. It is not, in my firm opinion. Mm. And the reason I think it is not, and part of what we talked about is that oppositional aspect of the whole point is that it's an anti-war piece. And it was conceived as an anti-war piece. That's the whole message that's supposed to be getting brought across is anti-war. So, of course, what is the opposition to war is what you were just talking about of the feminine qualities mm -hmm. in like a societal mm -hmm. construct. 
I think it's so interesting, like how much that connects to that. I also um, like the whole like gender and nature thing. I think a lot of people really like to argue the like, oh, well, if there's no gender in nature, what is the whole uh, like how like some species have different character qualities? And I am of the firm belief that there is a difference in gender and ease of reproduction because the whole I, I, I really think like how is how is the species supposed to know how to reproduce how to survive it is a survival thing to reproduce therefore of course there are going to be physical qualities of who you are supposed to reproduce with but that's like purely when you really break it down scientifically that's a survival instinct if you actually think about it because to reproduce is to survive and it has nothing to do with gender mm-hmm. and i also think Sorry, one last thing. No, continue. Um, With like the aspect of desire too, I think there's also like a lot to be said for the additional concept of envy. Okay. Um, And that's a whole other topic, but like desire and envy are very much a hand in hand thing because you just, I don't know, you seem like y'all have been incited by that. So I'll, I'll pass it over. I call in particularly, I know, cause I've absolutely dabbled in that concept. Colin, you have a thought somewhere. I mean, you ever see a lot of gym content on the internet? You ever see a lot of, uh, a lot of bros talking about, and of course there's, there's something that a lot of dudes talk about on the internet, especially in like lifting TikToks uh, where, you know, they do the thing that like every hetero man does where they're like, my bro is so sexy. He's looking so good after his glute pump. And it's it's very much like, ha 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 ha. We are jokingly getting close to homosexuality. Wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't that be so funny and taboo and crazy if we fucked like and it's it's now that you mention envy, I think it is very funny that these things are so, so pervasive in like hetero man online spaces that these these are dudes who are like very much uh, it seems almost defensive of their heterosexuality, yet at the same time are every single day on the internet, like making cute little jokes about just banging their friends. And I think it's, I think it's uh, culturally indicative of, I think a homoerotic horniness. Uh, No, that's it. Well, yeah. And (laughs) if I can add to that super quick too, because I was, we, we just barely got to that point, but like envy is attraction and like, So if you are like envious of something, it is because you want it, not just for yourself. Like, and so I feel like that also like that, like super close line of writing homoeroticity, like is very much because of that. uh, To follow up on that point of envy, wanting something, not even just for yourself and that like conflation with envy and desire. And um, I read in a a separate text that I've mentioned several times throughout the podcast that is escaping me right now, but that defines different like that analyzes the male gaze and different perceptions that women have taken over history. Um, You have the woman on a pedestal and who is like who by being elevated to this like perfect, like sanitized, like it's the women, the Greek statues we see. They are both 
taken, their power is taken from them. And then they are also placed in a position to envy, which increases both desire and hatred. And oh, that relationship between, oh, this is gross. is so tasty and deep. Um, and then something I really want to quickly touch on, um, and then we can probably move into the next section, um, gender, the circular ruins of contemporary debate. But the binary that is placed, just because something you said earlier, this actually speaks to a later section, but it made me think of it. The binary that is placed between gender and sex and that is placed between man and woman also mirrors the um, rationalist philosopher's tendency to place binaries on human concepts. It's this identity thing. It's the binary between body and mind, which is why we place so much like the body is associated with the feminine and the mind is associated with the masculine. And we are supposed to define ourselves as our mind. We are supposed to seek our identity from our mind instead of a synthesis of those two elements. And I want to call out Colin for hating their body for a long time and preferring to believe that they were a mind running a meat machine. And this is me saying Butler says you should eat more. I got to hit those macros. Got to get the protein macros. Um, there's not to out myself as a fantasy literature enjoyer. Oh, um, you but, never. But uh, there's there's something to be said regarding the binary and the attribution of gendered concepts to or gender to literal concepts, specifically in the putting women on pedestals. And so in a lot of medieval literature, uh, late medieval literature and into fantasy generally <laughs> uh, in this sort of retroactive uh, in this sort of retroactive, you know, thing that fantasy does where it it creates our perception of medieval culture in a way that is bizarre. Uh, we can talk about that. But magic, especially in older stuff, is always feminine. That's what makes Odin and Merlin such fascinating figures, because they are men who learn the feminine art. You know, Odin, Norse mythology we can get into, but let's stick to Merlin. Merlin is, he's a, a, a he's like a, yeah, he's a, he's a man, but he learns the magic and is ultimately undone by it when he gets too horny and is trapped in a tree. But, uh, we've all been there. He's the only dude in Arthurian legend other than Mordred who can do magic and Mordred can only sometimes do magic. Uh, but Mordred is evil. Magic is supposed to make you evil unless you are inherently magical, like a spirit, i.e. pedestal or a whore, uh, i.e. evil sorceress, uh, temptress, Morgan Le Fay, yada, yada, yada. So I think that that's horror magic, horror magic. <laughs> I think that that's something really interesting is uh, that, you know, Merlin. Do you is think Jordan whore? Peterson sees himself as Merlin? One more time. I was calling Merlin a whore. One more you time. You think Jordan Peterson sees himself as Merlin, a masculine man who's mastered the feminine art? <laughs> I would like I would like to say yes. And I want to say yes, because there is a very common history of singular man learning magic demise tied to that. Dr. Faustus is another very good example of that. But yeah, I also like I just really I like the idea of horror magic, but I really like just the whole connection of that because it is a, a very long historical nature of the only way a woman would be strong enough in that type of environment 
is by literally otherworldly fucking means versus and like you see that all the time with the pairing of like the big guy with the sword who can handle everything literally with brute force and then the very like petite side female character with the spells that are typically a blessing from a man so that's mm-hmm. something to think about there's yeah uh, there's and- also something to be said i'm so sorry Al. Uh, uh but in especially like early modern literature uh women were supposed to be like the 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 whole thing we've done about desire uh was reversed in that period where it was men who were supposed to be chaste and sort of emotionally deep and uh hold themselves back while women were supposed to be the ones who were like sexually ravenous uh in that period and so it's really interesting to see how you know in in 700 years we've loop-de-looped on that mm-hmm. i believe at one point in one of my in the article that i was referencing initially about that conception of women um she says you can either be the mother the maid or the crone or the seductress which is usually like tied in with the maid in a more sexual sense and we've got biblical examples we've got eve we got delilah cut off samson's hair And so I actually think that's a great uh, transition into the next section, because when Bev, when you mentioned uh, the mystique, the mystery and that relationship and Colin mentioned that relationship with magic, um, we have Irigaray that and uh, Irigaray is one of the philosophers uh, that Butler references a lot, um, mainly contrasting Wigget. Is that how it's pronounced? a philosopher whose name starts with W, Beauvoir, Sartre, kind of alongside Beauvoir and Irigaray. And Irigaray says that we simply, like woman is necessarily mysterious and uncapturable by masculine speech because masculine frameworks specifically do not make room for feminine. It is necessarily hard to capture um do we want to touch on this now or do we want to wrap this section and touch on it next time let's wrap it we'll touch on it at the beginning of the next episode we'll launch right into it all right thank you you for listening i've been al gropey a crumpled up paper towel they them all um and with me has been i've been colin orton he they you can find this podcast at lift us lit pod on twitter Send us hate mail at gettinginformedpod at gmail.com. There it fucking was. Uh, out of practice. And Bev, who have you been? I have been Bev Fort. She, they, trying my best. You were Based. great. Bye. Bye. <laughs>